0: Welcome to the Hire Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Az Rashid. Welcome to Higher Learning. I am your host, Az Rashid. We have another very special guest today, good friend of mine, Jen Crenshaw, Chief Human Resources Officer with Prospero Health. How are you, Jen?
1: I'm fantastic. Happy Hello. belated Thanksgiving. It's Happy great belated you, Thanksgiving.
0: Uh, did you have a good holiday?
1: I did. Yeah, absolutely. Hung out with friends, ate a lot of food, cooked, shopped. Yeah, did all the things you do.
0: Does your family make a big deal about Thanksgiving? My family was crazy about Thanksgiving.
1: No, it's no Thanksgiving and Easter are the same. It's like the spring version of the or the fall version, but it's a relatively interchangeable. But we do we we spend Thanksgiving with. So I actually didn't go home for Thanksgiving. I hung out with friends in North Carolina, and it was phenomenal.
0: That's fantastic. Good. I'm so glad yeah. to hear that. So listen, we have a lot to talk about today, but I want to start. I'm always very interested in people's journeys, right? And you've had some really great experience. You've worked in really large companies. You've worked in startups. You've done a lot throughout your career, but you've taken a pivot to healthcare over the last decade or so. And so I'm really interested in that. I know you started your career, or at least you were at Burger King for a long time down here in Miami before you went over to Anthem, one of the biggest conglomerates in the healthcare and insurance space. So I'm just interested, what drew you to that role and opportunity? And what did you learn when you got there that maybe was different than other industries you'd worked in in the past?
1: Yeah. So Anthem was not the first time that I got into healthcare. So I actually did start, my very first HR job was as a recruiter in home health and hospice. Yeah. So I started out hiring nurses for home visits back in 1995, and then also worked for an assisted living company. Then it later in the 90s, and then for an insur- a boutique insurance company where we had Blue Cross Blue Shield as a client in the early 2000s. So I had a couple of different stints in healthcare before going to Burger King. And then ended up back at Anthem. And in part, got the phone call to go to Anthem because my healthcare experience, I actually had more experience in healthcare than the CHRO at Anthem of of that time.
0: Wow. So I know you pretty well. I'm going to have to fire my research team. I am my research team. So I I don't know that I even knew that. I didn't know that you started recruiting in healthcare. So then what was like, let's ask the reverse then. What was it like going to Burger King, which is... Obviously in the QSR space, very different than healthcare. What was that kind of adjustment like in terms of taking your career in that?
1: I actually was really excited about the Burger King opportunity because I had just a bit previously in my career spent five years with Domino's Pizza. And so I loved my job at Domino's Pizza. That was my really my first experience in multi-unit. I'd grown up working in the restaurant business, grew up waiting tables, serving, And it was a little like when I made the transition into Domino's pizza out of healthcare, that was a bit of an existential moment for me. Like I do recall having a bit of a meltdown in like alone in my tiny little apartment going, Oh my God, I'm going from taking care of people with dementia to pizza. And so I, but then once I made the decision to join Burger King, I'd already had that existential crisis. Right. And so What I knew at that point really was that it's the service industry. So what do I love about healthcare? What did I love about food service? Honestly, it's people serving people, right? And what we talk about at Prospero is really being the employer of choice for people with a passion for service. And I can really say that's that's really a core element for me. No matter what I do next, there's going to be that people serving people element to it because that's really what fires me
0: up. What a fantastic analogy. I have never heard that before. That makes total sense to me. I do want to dive a little bit into that because I grew up in the service industry myself. I did a lot of waiting at tables. And. It's funny because things will happen in my role now as an entrepreneur and CEO of MSH that I'll look back on and I'll realize there are lessons from my time waiting tables, right? Whether it be customer focus or how you deal with people or situations. So I'm interested, since you spent so much time in the service industry prior to getting into healthcare, did you do you look back on any of the lessons from waiting tables that have informed who you are as a CHRO in your career going forward?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that pops out to me immediately when you ask me that question, when I waited tables for cash, right? Like, I had a rule for myself that was very different than my colleagues around me. I did not count my tips until the end of the shift. I never stopped to determine how I was doing along the way. I made that decision very early on, but my very first serving job when I was 16 years old in a steakhouse, right? I watched my much older peers, much more experienced peers, I watched their attitude be determined by how their cash was tracking for the night. And I intuitively knew very early, if you have a bad attitude, and if you judge the next table by how the last table treated you, you're just gonna spiral in that you're not gonna make good tips for the rest of the night because now you're in a bad place. So I didn't want to be in a bad place, right? So I like stayed present with just the look my I'm going to make what I'm going to make. And it's all going to average out and somebody's going to stiff me and somebody's going to tip me incredibly well. And at the end of the night, the number's going to be what the number is.
0: We've never talked about this. I got to tell you, that is it's so funny. What a mature mindset during a time. But I also had a similar mindset. Mine was a little bit different. So I also worked at restaurants. And like you said, there's always people bitching about their tips and I didn't get this. And there's always this sense of entitlement with me with what I saw. And my expectation was this, people don't have to give you anything. Like they can literally leave you zero dollars. So anything you get, right, you should be excited and grateful for, and you should work for it. And so I never had this mentality of I better be getting 15%. I better be getting 20%. I had this mentality of I'm going to earn every every dollar I get. I'm going to give a great experience and I'm going to stand out. And you know what? I got more $100 tips than any of my peers. I had more regulars coming back to me because to your point, I didn't look at it as something that was earned to me unless I worked for it and got it. And it's similar to what you're saying in that you won't let that kind of mindset ruin your day because ultimately it's productive to what your ultimate goal is, which is to make good money off of tips, but you're just counting it later. I love it. Yeah. Another thing I learned in a restaurant, I want to make this a restaurant podcast, but I remember I had a manager tell me once, Oz, you have these four tables right here. Okay, You're a franchise owner. I'm going to provide the food. I'm going to provide the menu and the marketing for you. But whatever experience these customers have within this four table section, that's on you as the franchise owner. And man, did I take that mentality. In fact, I tell that to our employees at MSH. We're going to provide a lot of things for you here at MSH, but your customers and your interactions with your customers and your candidates, that's your franchise opportunity. You are going to make a break how that goes. So I love that. that's,
1: That's the exact link back to what we were saying, right? That's the people serving people. We can make that. So yes, in your little four table franchise, right? In that restaurant, it's the accounts that your folks have at MSH. It's the patients that our advanced practice clinicians have at Prospero, right? There's a lot that we can provide, but at the end of the day, right? Or even the market that our clinical directors are responsible for, Right. There's a lot that is provided to them. But at the end of the day, and you know, this when we talk about culture and building culture, I say all the time, it's one interaction at a time. And it's how I consider table. I was I was thinking like all those years that I waited tables and all those different restaurants, and I got job opportunities oftentimes out of meeting people with tables that I waited on and I remember there was one couple that would come in to mom's diner that I worked at. I know, right? So I worked at mom's diner and this couple would come in and uh, the wife said, "We, you need to talk to her about the job. I'm not doing it anymore. You need to talk to her. I was like, I don't know what's happening here. And so he ran a DJ business and she had been traveling with him and working as his assistant doing all these weddings and she was done. She didn't want to, she didn't want to go do any more weddings with him. And so she was encouraging him to hire somebody to help him out to do weddings. And I got the job because she liked me, because I did a good job serving them when they came into the restaurant.
0: That's incredible. Two lessons here. You're always interviewing, whether you think you are not, right? And going and finding people who work at restaurants and take a different approach is a great way to find high potential future leaders. I think that's the lessons we can take away. I love that. So you helped build Prospero Health from the ground up. Prospero is focused on palliative care and treating elderly patients in a way that really goes beyond just standard treatment. So I'd like to know, did this mission resonate with you right away? Why is this important to you? And is that something that formed over time working for Prospero Health or right away did that kind of grab you by the collar and then really bring you in?
1: Always oh, was right away. I mentioned that I've worked for a couple of different healthcare companies in the past. And when I worked in assisted living in the late nineties, I worked for a company that at the time it was called Altera. It's now a part of Brookdale. And we were early groundbreakers in assisted living, right? Like memory care and assisted living, like really showing families that it didn't have to be a skilled nursing facility for their loved one who didn't need medical care, but needed memory care, right? And so we are on the cutting edge of that. And so I, I, like very early on, I, I am at my core an innovator, a disruptor. I'm very much attracted to any opportunity to do it differently, turn it on its head, think about ways to improve something. And the opportunity at Prospero to improve the way healthcare is delivered, to empower those folks with serious illness, to not have the Prospero patients who are experiencing serious illness, to not have them be the healthcare system, it's a machine, right? And you get push you in, push you out, get you the treatment,
0: get out of here type of thing.
1: There's lots of good reasons for those processes, right? There's, I'm not, I certainly understand when you're in a hospital setting, when you're there, there are lots of really good reasons to have strong processes and to not have variants in those processes. And the whole healthcare system built around JCO and all of the different credentialing and certification processes that those hospitals go through is all about driving out variants. And that's, I understand why, but if I am a 75-year-old with end-stage renal disease and I only have a few years left, right? The last thing I want is to be sucked through this healthcare system where variance is the enemy, right? And variance is being stamped out to the extent that I don't have choices. And so what Prospero does and what I was absolutely attracted to is we empower these folks to make their own decisions, to live their best life now. And it gives them an opportunity to work one-on-one with highly qualified advanced practice clinicians and doctors to say, this is what I want, or this is what I don't want. And a lot of that is also comes from like the traditional hospitals and the traditional healthcare system doesn't always have the time for education. I think, and I don't know if this stat is still true, but three years ago when we were launching Prospero, I think there was a stat out there that said, when you go to see your primary care physician, the maximum amount of time that doctor spends with you is eight minutes.
0: Oh my gosh. How much time do you spend in the waiting room? Because I know that's really long.
1: Yeah. A lot more than eight minutes. Yeah. Right. So at Prospero, that, that doctor or that nurse practitioner comes to your house and they're with you for 60 minutes. They're with you for 90 minutes and it's in your setting and it's an opportunity. They get to know you and what matters to you and they get to see your pictures and they get to meet your dog and like, it's just, it's a totally different experience.
0: The way I look at it is that there's so many different things now in life that are on demand, right? Amazon ships everything to our house. DoorDash brings food to your house, Right. Healthcare is so much about comfort and being in an environment where you feel comfortable and having people around you that you feel comfortable with. And so bringing it into the home has always made a ton of sense. It's just now that we have a company like Prosper that's able to do it and not just focus on the treatment, but focus on the whole human. And I think that's such an important aspect of what you all do over there is that It's not just about, hey, we need to make sure that we give a diagnosis and we give the medications. Like you said, it's about learning about that whole person and treating them like a whole person. And that's how healthcare should be. And I'm so glad that we've made humongous steps in that direction, but that's not the way it's been in the past.
1: No, look, and there's still a long way to go, right? And look, like every clinician who works in those more traditional settings, I know they care just as deeply as the folks that come to work at Prospero. So I know that it's not the individual clinicians. Really, it's the system. And it's the fact that we really need to rethink what, how healthcare is delivered. And you know, I was always impacted by this vision of you've got your Aunt Pearl, who is, knows that she has a doctor's appointment tomorrow, right? So she gets up at five o'clock in the morning to be ready for a 10 a.m. doctor's appointment because she wants to make sure that, you know, that she has every hair in place right? She spends the time to get dressed, put her makeup on, go be present for that doctor in a way like everything's fine. I'm great, doc, right? And that's another difference, right? In home-based medical care, right? In home-based medical care, we come to see you and we have an opportunity to see, right? And I always talk about this big basket of medication sitting on the dining room table, right? And now- The doctor or the nurse can say, hey, can you tell me about all these and learn from the family member or the patient themselves, right? I don't take any of those. I don't know what to do with those. Again, the stats, it is amazing that oftentimes, like right off the bat, like our folks can discharge like up to five medications immediately. Five medications that somebody's taking that they no longer need to be taking.
0: That's better for patients. That's better for their health. That's incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Prospero has been around for over three years now. I know the company had okay. rapid growth. I think you grew from zero to over a thousand employees in that time, correct?
1: Yeah. Zero uh, to over a thousand in 30 months.
0: 30 months. That is incredible. So I'm interested. What do things sit with Prospero now?
1: So we had an amazing opportunity to be integrated into Optum. And so Optum is a United Health Group company. And Optum owns many healthcare providers, physician practices, a lot of different companies. And so they actually acquired Landmark Health, who's very similar to Prospero. And so with the acquisition of Landmark Health, Optum also integrated Prospero in. And so we are now actively unifying with Landmark. And so the Prospero team and the Landmark team over the first six months of 2023 We'll be integrating in market by market. And so we'll go from, oh gosh, it all, like, don't have all the numbers memorized. So Prospero is active in 29 states today. Once we unify the two, there is some overlap in a few states, not a lot, but some overlap. We'll be in 40 states total and continuing to grow.
0: I love that. And I give Prospero a lot of credit, but also I give Optum a lot of credit because that machine we were talking about earlier, when you're a Health Group and you are one of the biggest healthcare organizations in the world, you're going to fall victim to that machine. And you bring in a company like Prospero, you bring in a landmark, and you're giving credence to that nimbleness being an advantage. And so hopefully we can take the great resources that come from an Optum and some of the innovation and nimbleness that have come from Prospero and combine those and get the best of both worlds.
1: Yeah. Oh, look, I've, having worked with a couple of different companies, I can tell you I, I do think that this is something that Optum and United Health Group have figured out in a way that many other companies haven't. How do you acquire smaller, innovative companies and not destroy the value that you bought, right? And we all know there's many white papers out there about how does that happen in M and A transactions. How do you make sure that you don't destroy the value when you integrate it in? And I do think that I do think that Optum does a really great job of that. And uh, so I, I'm certainly excited to watch the home-based medical care growth that I know Optum will have under the landmark brand.
0: Okay, fantastic. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about integration in a little bit, but I want to ask you, you've been in large enterprise companies, you've been in small and medium-sized companies, you worked at Mom's Diner, you worked at a startup. What fits you best? What environment, what size environment, what type of environment fits Jen Crenshaw best?
1: It's less about the exact size, really. And it's more about my ability to innovate, create problems. Look, I can be in a really large company as long as there's still an appetite for innovation, disruption, creativity. And now I think there are a lot of really large companies that struggle with that. It, it's also that it's like what we were saying about the traditional healthcare systems, right? They're machines and they're, it's process driven. And I think for me, that's really the sweet spot. It's I love the resources available from larger enterprises one of the things that i was really excited about for the prospero team when we did integrate into optum is that for three years the prospero team really we didn't have a lot of the leadership development resources that our team really deserved and needed to continue growth and so that was next up on my list right that was the thing that from a chro perspective I really needed to give our additional leadership development support than what we were able to give them in the first three years. Day one, immediately upon integration with Optum, they had, there's an unending library available to them for diversity, equity, inclusion, leadership development. Like it's just all at their fingertips. It's literally just anything that they have the time for, all they have to do is reach out for it. And I love that. I love the resources of a large enterprise. It's very exciting to know that's available to your people as long as there's still that ability to innovate, problem solve, be creative. as long as it's a company that doesn't get in its own way as, oh, we've tried that, don't try that. Or we don't do it that way. It's not, we. that's not the way we do it here.
0: What a great How answer. Fantastic. Though. And I, that totally makes sense. So listen, this is a podcast about hiring. I know that you've been involved with yeah. thousands of hires throughout your career. I think you and I have worked together on a few of those. And so yeah. I want to learn a little bit more about what I know you're great at hiring, what makes you so great at hiring, what some of your philosophies are. So let's start here. If you had to tell us a overall overarching hiring philosophy you have, let's say for your team, right? It could be for your organization, but let's say for your team, what is the most important thing to you? What stands out to you when I say that?
1: There's probably three things that I'm looking for, sure. a, a blend of three things, confidence, humility, Work ethic.
0: Okay, good. So let's talk about how do you identify those in an interview? All right, confidence. I think I can pick up on that. What are humility and work ethic? What are what kind of questions are you asking to try to determine that?
1: I'm really looking for, I ask a lot of questions around when you've encountered barriers and how did you work through those barriers? How did you get around them? Did you? Break through them, climb over them, go under them, right? I want to know, I spend a lot of time asking questions around, not so much that tell me a time when. I I probably do ask a tell me a time when here and there, but I really want to dig in. It's funny because one of the things that I require in interview answers is that I make people give me, set the scene. Like I want to know who was there. I want to know when it was, right? Why? Because anybody can make up an answer. Google right now, right? There's probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of like how to get through an interview books that have been written. And most of them are going to say, here's how you construct an answer to those behavioral interview questions. Tell me a time when. So it's really just having a conversation, right? Like not making it feel so structured interview guide and just having a conversation with somebody and finding out like what's Honestly, not so different than some of the questions
0: you're asking me now. Sure. Well, this is an interview, isn't it? An interview. Um, I got two follow-ups. So one is yeah. there's a thin line between confidence and arrogance. And obviously the opposite of that is humility and being humble. Do you see it being like a kinetic energy thing? If somebody is like super confident and then they got a little bit of humbleness, okay. like how do you see that work? Or Do they have to have both at an equal super level for you to want that, to want to work with them? Because most of the people I, I know dip one way or the other right? They're super humble or they're super confident. Now there's those people that have that quiet confidence about them, that have that humility about them, but you can tell that they feel I'm good.
1: Equally it. confident and humble.
0: I agree. I agree. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> something somebody humble and confident would say, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Do, if I had to pick between the two. It's tough, huh? I, I, yeah. I'd pick confidence.
0: Oh, I like that. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because you know what? So uh, why, right? Like I'll often say, I'd rather have to hold you back than to have to kick you forward.
0: I say it all the time. I'd rather have to say sick them, than hold up. Yeah. Oh no, other way around. I'd rather yeah, have right to around. say hold up than sick them. Yeah. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Like I can help you fix if you were overconfident and we got to pick up the pieces a little bit, right? I think it like- An abundance of humility that results in fear or like an unwillingness. And I guess I think about like when I was a kid learning about Moses and how Moses was meek in his leadership style and how meekness was not weakness. And so I think the same about humility, right? Like I'm looking for humility, but that doesn't mean that I'm looking for scared or tentative.
0: True. Those things are not mutually exclusive, right? Right. You can definitely have that that drive and that hunger and still be humble about you. In fact, some of the best people I know have that. So totally agree with you on that. This episode
1: is brought to you by MSH, an innovative professional services and SaaS organization serving customers ranging from startups to the Fortune 100. A truly global
0: company operating in more than 35 markets across three continents, MSH partners with their customers to build the teams that solve their biggest and most complex business challenges. Contact them and find out more at talentmsh.com. So a lot of people are looking for work ethics. I know a lot of our listeners want to hear, how do I determine that? Everyone's going to tell me, oh, I work my butt off. I work 80 hours a week. How in an interview are you able to... Determine that, are you able to do an interview or do you have to go through other channels to determine what you think someone's work ethic is before hiring them?
1: Yeah, I think you can determine a little bit from a series of interviews, not necessarily from a single interview, right? But I think a series of interviews, multiple people, I think you can get to work ethic a little bit by listening for work and you can kind of get to the truth of where I'm talking about, say I work a lot of hours versus I actually can talk about the outputs of my work right? Because I don't necessarily see work ethic as like somebody who's always putting in a 90 hour work week, right? I actually don't, I don't need you to put in a 90 hour work week, right? I'm work ethic is work hard, play hard, right? Like I, I don't need you to put in crazy amounts of hours, but I need you to be willing to do the work required to get the outcomes we've agreed to. Right. So I think in those conversations and in in like reference checks and talking to people who know this person, have worked with this person in the past, to me, judging that work ethic is more around being trustworthy, delivering on commitments. If I say I'm going to do something, I actually do it. Right. Being willing to pitch in and help other people. It's not always about you and your outcomes. Right. But it's, you know, you've finished, but your coworker hasn't finished. And so you have enough work ethic to say, Hey, give me a little bit of that. I can help you. Those are the kinds of things I'd be looking for.
0: Yeah. I love that said another way, self-motivated, right? Somebody who's yeah. got their own kind of starter inside that keeps them going. Oh, I love my acronyms. One thing I like to throw out there. I ask, do they have an AFI? Do they have a fire inside? Cause I think that's just such yeah. a key thing for people that we want to hire. We want to make sure that they're self-motivated. And that doesn't mean that you work 90 hours a week and that you're rising grind and you're telling everybody how hard you work. It just means that you're motivated to do good, to put good work by your name, to drive through to conclusion, to follow through with what you say. All of those are the key qualities that I think we all think about when we think about great employees. When I ask you to tell me about your most memorable interview ever, whether it be one you were getting interviewed for, or you were interviewing somebody, what comes to mind? Yeah.
1: So when I think about my most memorable interview, it what I was interviewing. It was in fact, when I was the executive director of a 26 bed memory care assisted living. And I was hiring certified nursing assistants or home health aides to work at the assisted living. And uh, we are still in construction phase. So we we're working out of a sales office. And uh, this was long enough ago that we were still running ads in the Philadelphia Inquirer to, yeah, in the newspaper. Yep. Yeah. And so I had an ad running and I had open interview times. And so at the sales office and this young lady came in, she was currently working down the street at the nursing home. She was a certified nursing assistant, but she had someone with her and the person she had with her had her toddler son. And so I had this one young woman with her toddler out in the waiting room, out on the sofas, and then the other one sitting to interview with me. I was not terribly impressed by this very qualified person that I was interviewing. Certified nursing assistant, working at a nursing home currently, but there was just like, she was really just looking for more money, shorter commute. There was really nothing she could tell me about why she wanted to work with us other than it was closer to her house and she was hoping we paid more. I was watching this other person who was not there for the interview. She was just the ride to the interview. And she was first out on the sidewalk. And I said, it's hot out here. Come in, come sit inside. But she was tuned into what we were talking about. And I could tell that she wanted to know more. And so I walked up and I was talking with her. And I said, do you work with Mary at the nursing home? And she said, no, I work at, The convenience store and I said okay she's I didn't ever think I wanted to be a CNA but I want to do the job you're talking about and so we started talking about it and I ended up hiring wait was this all
0: in front of Mary was Mary sitting there like holding the bag yeah whoa
1: and I did not hire Mary whoa Mary did not get a job but her friend and her ride got a job she ended up becoming my second shift team lead whoa and today she's a registered nurse in upstate new york
0: fantastic you just don't contact yes so you gave her her opportunity out of a convenience store yep oh man i don't know if we're gonna beat that one that is awesome wow fantastic congrats to her good job by you
1: So many, and there's so many stories along the way of just how she is a great example of confident, humble work ethic.
0: Yeah, and you weren't even talking to her. You were able to see that through cues of just her with the child and being in the periphery. Look,
1: if you can keep a rambunctious two-year-old quiet during somebody else's interview, kudos to you right there.
0: That's a good skill. (laughs) 100%.
1: I still have This I don't want to get all
0: mushy, but this is why I love what, you and i do i really right. like your her life inextricably changed there's no conversation about that based on her showing up there not even knowing that she was interviewing again always interviewing and getting yeah. the job and now she's a registered nurse up in upstate new york if only for that chance meeting just such a sliding doors thing and i just yeah. think it's so important and so impactful i, I love that story that's amazing do you i
1: can tell you i have one other memorable interview tell me i want to hear not, it. i was being interviewed and, and you may or may not remember this story. I've told it a few times, but I was being interviewed and it was in a very memorable place. i was sitting in this person's office, looking out the window. I happened to be looking out the window at the airplanes taking off and landing at the Miami International Airport. Okay. And in this interview, I'm thinking everything's going great. I like, I've gotten to this point in the whole interview process. I'm really excited about this job. And the person says to me, why do you want this job? you're overqualified. And I then found myself having to like explain why I like why I was willing to take a job that would be a step back. And I just remember saying like yeah, okay, we can agree that you're offering me a job that I can probably do in 20 hours a week. But I can do all the other stuff that you need done in the other 20 hours. So hmm. I'm a little surprised that you're asking me this question. Wow. And I, first of all, like who like, I, first, I didn't know like who would ask a question like that. And then where did that like bravery come from to answer in that way? Like, I still don't know where that came from.
0: So let me clarify. So yeah. you were saying other responsibilities that are not part of the scope of that job. You were saying you were going to be able to handle in your additional time because you're going to do this job so fast. Wow. So
1: literally what I said was, look, as I understand it, you're rebuilding this HR team. And so I agree with you. The job that I'm interviewing for, I can do in 20 hours a week. That means I have another 20 hours a week to help you rebuild this HR team.
0: Yeah. some.
1: quite honestly, that's what I did.
0: Based on some cues, I think that's a mutual friend we both have. That's a great interview. Yes. And that has really set your career up as well. So like you said, it's Absolutely. always these sliding doors moments. It's this confidence. I am thrilled to hear that. Do you have a favorite question that you love to ask prospective hires in your interviews?
1: Really, it is all about finding out what kind of hardships or barriers.
0: Adversity they've overcome?
1: Yeah, adversity, right? Like whether it was difficult relationships that you had to navigate or whether it was a project that exploded and you had to pick up the pieces, right? I want to know. And so it's not a very specific question. It's not like exactly the same question I ask every time. It's really dependent on that person, their background and what I'm interviewing for, but it is always going to be around that overcoming adversity or barriers.
0: Yeah. So, really interesting aside here. So when we hire, so we have a Monday morning meeting at MSH every Monday, we have the entire company in it. We give out recognition. We talk about what's going on organizationally, a bunch of different stuff. Whenever we have a new hire, we put them and through a battery of questions in front of everybody. As well, Hey, this is how we operate here. You're going to be on the spot a little bit and you're gonna have to talk about yourself. Hopefully it's a subject, you know, well, but also so people can get to know them. And that's a really big thing that we do here. Now I used to ask, and I stopped doing it. I used to ask a bunch of kind of standard questions. And then I would ask, what adversity have you overcome to get here? Now, what I realized was a lot of people in that first moment, when they're trying to make an impression or they're in an interview, it catches them off guard because it's everybody's faced adversity they're thinking through what is okay for me to share? What should I share? Should I go personal? Should I go professional? And so I've had people gloss over and I've had some situations where people start talking about deaths of parents or different situations like that have come up. And it's been really illuminating and enlightening. Now I found that it can be a little bit unfair on that first day when you're really just trying to make a good first impression and you're not prepared and expecting that. So I took it off the table and I asked some different questions, but I do use in interviews, have you found that people, have you gotten answers? Like i never can't really think of any adversity or have you seen that people are like, is that a question that you get a hundred percent hit rate on? I guess is my question.
1: It is, I think though, but I, but it's because I don't, I would never just ask, tell me about adversity. I, I, it's going to be, it's going to be something a little bit more specific to their background. I see here that you're talking about this specific success that you had when you were working at Burger King, right? Tell me in, in getting to that success, Tell me about some of the barriers that you had to. So I'm a little more I'm a little more specific around making it work related and tying it back to something that we've been talking about. So yeah, and I find that it always now when I say I get a hit rate, it doesn't mean I always get a great answer. The
0: answer you want, right? Yeah, but you come... get an in depth answer. You're saying because of the way well, you frame. Not
1: it. I don't always get an in depth answer. Sometimes, like some sometimes they don't think that they. Had any barriers to overcome,
0: which I've seen that before, which always makes me question things. I'm like, so this has been like lollipops and puppy dogs the entire time or
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's just, in my opinion, that's just not that lacks humility.
0: Introspectiveness too.
1: Yeah. You're unwilling to tell me, right. Cause we've all had challenges right? But if you won't tell me about one that you've had, that's because you don't want, you want me to think that you've got this all covered.
0: All perfect. W- what's your biggest weakness? I'm too perfect. I'm a perfectionist, yeah, right? That's right uh, yeah. So listen, we've all missed on people that we've hired before, right? Including myself. When you miss, right? What typically happened? Or what do you look back on and say, dang, I regret that I didn't ask this or do this?
1: Yeah. I can, uh, when I've missed... This is embarrassing. This is me This is me admitting a bit of humility. Honestly, it's probably because I've been dazzled by their ability to mirror, right? When I've missed, it's because I thought somebody was a lot like me and they were gonna come in with a similar level of confidence, humility, and work ethic to my own and only to find out Yeah, I got, I got bamboozled. I got dazzled. I was a little too much of, oh yeah, they're just like me. And either they weren't, or maybe they are. And there was a little too much. That's not what we needed.
0: And listen, that's a very common bias. Most people make that. I don't know if it's a mistake. I guess my question for you would be, that's not always a good thing though, either. Right? Like sometimes like you don't want to hire people, like you're trying to build a team. And if we all have, redundant personalities and redundant skill sets. That's the opposite of diversity of experience and thought and things like that. But it's a common thing that I think every hiring manager does, man, this person, me, we went to the same school. We did this. There's so much commonality. I just think that's not always. And I think it's the same thing in relationships too. I don't think you should be looking for a mirror image of yourself all the time. You should things that go together, complement each yeah. other. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that has been, that is one of the things that's awesome about being able to start a team right? Having had the opportunity to start from scratch, right? That's when you really need to, you need to know what, like, what do I need to fill in the flat sides? And whether you use some of the, some of the existing assessment tools and things that are out there, whether you've just been doing this long enough that like, I'm a big fan of listening for word choice. I really do believe that you can get a, you can understand a lot about people and how they think. By do they choose, do they talk about how, or do they talk about what, or do they talk about when, like just what part of the story do they focus on? What tends to be their bias when they think about an experience that they've had and they retell that story? I think you can really tell a lot about rounding out the flat sides of the team.
0: That's fantastic. I love that. That's definitely a big takeaway right there. You and I have talked about candidate experience in the past and why it's important. Is there anything that you do or instruct people that you're working with or interviewing for roles for you that you want as part of a candidate experience? And do you think it's something that's important? And if so why?
1: Yeah, you know that I think candidate is I can honestly say it's knowing that you agree with me about candidate experience is the reason why MSH was a Prospero partner. There's no doubt about it, right? You guys proved it out in our zero to a thousand in 30 months, right? Just really providing an excellent candidate experience. I would say I'm looking for what I would always talk about is authenticity and openness. And this is something that the MSH team that provided service to Prospero was great about, right? Is that please don't sell and puppy dogs, right? There are parts of this job that are gonna be really hard, right? Don't tell the nurse practitioners that they're not gonna have a lot of windshield time in a rural market. It doesn't, like, we might fill the job.
0: But you won't have a long-term person
1: but you're
0: not going to have a long-term person and they're going to, they're going to feel bamboozled. They're going to feel, yeah, they're not going to feel good. That's not the way you start off any relationship. And I think why we train this way and why it's been important in our company is that this is always about fit, right? There are some companies that, that we've declined to work with for different reasons. Right. But for the most part, we'll take on most companies because if you pay really well, but you work people to the grind, to the bone, there's some people who want that. They just want to get paid well and they want to work out, right? And so that's okay. You just have to be open and upfront about that and then find the people that fits, right? So it's less about good or bad company. It's this is what this company is about. And here's the real story about it. Does that fit what you want? And if it does, we got to match. If not, then there's no benefit to anybody to painting pig on a lipstick and making you think it's something it's not because that's going to make us look bad that's going to make you feel bad that you made a bad career decision and then the client's obviously not going to be happy because we want to have everything to be authentic to your point i agree with you. i think that's such a big key
1: yeah that really is and look i think that's i mean you you talk about even in starting relationships right in friendships and in anything right like you just nobody likes to be lied to Right. most people say, I I just want, I just want to have the information I need to make a good decision.
0: That makes sense. So I want to, I'm going to take it away a little bit from the hiring right now. I want to talk about, because your role has changed with the integration that we talked about earlier. Tell us what you're doing now. And then I'm really interested to hear what you're working on right now from that perspective. That's really juicing you or what you're excited about.
1: Yeah, my really have been focused. So the first half of the year was really spent on Optum integration, right? So what do we need to do to be ready to have all of the Prospero employees become Optum employees? So all the stuff you got to do to make sure that you get everybody moved over from payroll, benefits, all the stuff that really matters. It's the Back of the house, HR stuff, right? It's the HR ops piece, but really important because if you don't pay people right and you don't get their benefits right, then that's it's, it's table stakes, right? Yeah, it's a problem. And so that was really the first half of the year. Since August, I've really had the opportunity to really spend all of my time on what we refer to as the people side of change for Project Unity, so I mentioned earlier that we're unifying the Prospero team with the Landmark team to create the new home-based medical care team. And so I really have the opportunity to lead the change enablement and the people side of change. And so what does that mean, right? It's making sure that all of our leaders have everything that they need to be in the best position to support change by the ones, because change happens to individual people. Right. So when I talk about change, like being ready for change, like I tell the leaders at Prospero and Landmark all the time, I don't have any change fairy dust. Right. I can't come in and sprinkle and say, okay, like now this change is going to go well. We have all the answers. Everybody's going to be okay with all the things that are moving around. Right. That's not the case. Like each individual person is going to have their own Journey in this change. We talk about a change curve, right? Whether you want to talk about like the levels of acceptance of change, right? At sometimes you you might apply Kubler Ross's stages of grief, right? To to going through change, people go through change differently. They accept change differently. Some are like, bring it on, right? Others are like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. And so right now, that's really where I'm spending my time, right? It's just thinking through like, how do we make sure we have great communication strategies? How do we make sure that we give the leaders the kind of development that they need to be ready for, how do they manage resistance, right? People are going to resist change. Why? Because people resist change. Doesn't matter if it's change that's good for them or change that's bad for them. The first thing is, whoa, I don't want things to change. And so just spending time like really helping our leaders be ready for how do we just, where do we get the time to just listen? And so that's really what we're doing now is just really focusing on just making sure that we go through the change in a way that that is authentic and open. We talk about, is my job going to change? Yes, it is. And here's how. Not telling people that, you know, oh no, everything's going to be the same, right? Nothing's Nothing was ever going to be the same.
0: No, it's about the communication. And listen, well, you and I have talked about the integrations are hard. They are complex. They are nuanced. You're bringing two entities together and to get them to fit together seamlessly, it's not the Brady Bunch, right? It's tough. And so one of the biggest aspects that you have to figure out, and you have to focus on is the people aspect. Systems, financials, processes. These are inanimate, right? At the end of the day, you can do a lot of due diligence up front. You can know what you've learned. You can have that game plan. But the people aspect, right? So tough. The change management aspect. And like you said, people have tendencies. You take them out of their comfort zone and their norm. There's going to be a fight or flight type of reaction initially, right? And it's really important that you're just up front, and you communicate what the intention is and what you're trying to do, because there's a lot of uncertainty at those times, right? When these integrations happen, like it or not, there's a bunch of employees who are thinking, what does this mean for me? As you would expect anybody to be. So that's why that people aspect makes or breaks these things at the end of the day. So that's exciting work and it sounds like it's going well. So I'm happy to hear that. I want to ask, you and I have talked about books in the past. You and I share book titles a lot. I saw a LinkedIn post. So I want to read it to you and I want to get your your thoughts on this book. So rereading Alyssa DeVere's book. Kick-ass confidence, own your brain, up your game. Too many great gems for me to share them all here. But this one right now, there can be no happiness if things we believe in are different than the things we do. All right, you got to give us context on that.
1: So first of all, if you've never read Alyssa's books on the neuroscience of confidence, please do, all of you, because it's great stuff. Confidence can absolutely be learned and developed and it's there is neuroscience to confidence and that's really cool look this quote there there can be no happiness if if things that we believe in are different than the things we do look living with integrity is really important right if you if you espouse a set of beliefs and values and then you have to come to work and behave contrary to your own beliefs and values like you're going to be miserable right you're gonna do things every day that cause you to feel badly about yourself and going back to that idea of confidence and humility and work ethic all at the same time right I'm gonna if I'm gonna show up and work really hard and be willing to try things that I've never tried before and potentially fail at some of those things and have to be resilient and get back up, then I like that requires that I have a level of confidence. And to have that level of confidence, I really, I've got to be, I've got to be congruent with myself. Right. And so it's, I can't say that I value authenticity and then be fake. Right, I can't say that I value openness and then keep a bunch of secret. And it's—I it, was actually just having a conversation earlier today about the importance of if you if you can't be your authentic self wherever you are in personal relationships, in your work relationships, right? Then you got to ask yourself, like, what you know?
0: Am I in the right place? It-
1: Am I in the right place? Right. Yeah. Is, is what I'm trading for this worth it?
0: And if you have confidence, the answer is always no.
1: Yeah, that's right. right. Because right. you know that there'll be
0: another opportunity. There'll be something else there that does fit your authentic self. That's that real confidence, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And in this conversation I was having earlier today, I said, "Look, because there have been times in my career where I would, I had, I was not as secure, right? Like financially secure, personally secure." And I walked away, right? With the attitude of, look, I'll work three jobs if I have to, right? I've done it before. I can do it again. Better, and I would rather work three jobs than stay in this one place where, yes, I might be paid a lot of money, but I'm inauthentic. I'm incongruous. And that's really what that quote meant to me.
0: You are one of the most authentic leaders I know. So you're doing a damn good job at that. I'll leave you with this. Or you leave us with this. If you can amplify one bit of advice that maybe you didn't have early on in your career, but that you've learned as you've gone through your career that we can offer up for somebody maybe getting started, what would it be?
1: Be where you are.
0: Ooh, tell me more.
1: Yep. The one thing, you know, it, it's you get a job, a position, a promotion, an opportunity, and Highly motivated people then start looking for what's next. Or you're talking to somebody and they say, I just need a challenge. I need an opportunity to grow. I need, I'm this, I'm bored with what I'm doing. I need to do something more. And look, I've been there, I've said those things, but I can also say, looking back, in every single job you have, in a position where right now you might be saying, I need more, I wish that I had more challenges, look, those challenges are available to you right now. Those opportunities are available to you right now. You don't need somebody to give you a different title. You don't need to leave where you are to go do something else in order to grow, have opportunities, and be challenged. Just do more. Just do. Find that opportunity, innovate, disrupt, right? Like just do it.
0: Ooh, I think I've heard that somewhere before. I'm not sure if I can. Yeah, Oh, that's right, Nike. I love it. So listen, you are incredible. As always, I've always, I appreciate the conversation. I thank you for taking time and speaking with me. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Of course, great conversation. I'll talk to you again soon.
1: All right, thanks,
0: Oz. All right, bye, Jen. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.